Good evening. Welcome to St. Paul's and a special welcome to our visitors this evening for our Tenebrae service on Good Friday. The service this evening is going to be a combination of songs and narrations and responses with just a little bit of congregational singing as well. Over the course of the evening, the candles on the altar will slowly be extinguished, but as things got darker and darker for our Savior on Golgotha, that meant life and light for you and me. Let us worship the Lord. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so.
Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Thank you. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, 
Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate asked, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Pilate asked them, What shall I do then? with the one you call the king of the Jews. Crucify him, they shouted. Pilate asked, Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. When they came to the place called the Skull, They crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.
When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. They said to one another, Let's not tear it. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Crucified One. Amen. God's word we consider in our sermon this evening are the words of the narrators just prior to this last song, Were You There? from John chapter 19. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? If I were to answer the questions posed by that beautiful Lenten hymn, I'd have to say, no, I wasn't there, and neither were you. We weren't there to see the resolve in our Savior's eyes and the ridicule on the faces of those around him. We weren't there to hear as the nails were pounded through his hands and feet and as the beams of wood creaked when they were set into place. We weren't there to feel the earth quake when our Savior died or the thick darkness as the sun wasn't shining from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. You and I weren't there. But many people were there. Jesus wasn't crucified in some far-off remote corner of Israel. He was crucified right out of the capital city of Jerusalem's gates. And that was at the Passover time when the city's population swelled to around 2 million people. This would have been kind of like Green Bay on Sunday, game day for the Packers. So many people there, and right outside the city hung Jesus on the cross. And not only that, but there was that sign above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, written in three different languages, so more and more people could see exactly what was going on. So many were there, but one who was there wrote about it, the disciple John. This Lenten season, we have been following our Savior's final steps to the cross. Yet, where is the best place to view a race? It's right at the finish line, isn't it? At the finish line, the, the runners are exhausted and striving and straining with every last muscle. We get to see who wins. We get to be there for the victory. And at the end of the race... It's over. The struggle, the strain, the pain, it's done with. So this evening, your Lord invites you to stand next to John as Jesus crossed the finish line. That means the end. The end of our shame. It means the end of our neglect and also the end of our suffering. Of the four gospel writers, John is the one who gives us the most detail about the soldiers and Jesus' clothes. It was customary that four soldiers would be assigned to each crucified person. And so the four soldiers there, they got to divide up the spoils. They got Jesus' clothes. That was one of the perks of being a Roman soldier. 
The four shares could have been his head covering, his cloak, outer garment, his belt, and his sandals. But then there was that fifth part, the undergarment, that valuable garment that was woven seamlessly, one piece from top on throughout. Soldiers loved to gamble, so they decided to cast lots for it, for those clothes. Clothing wasn't really needed in this world until the beginning of the race, when Adam and Eve sinned. Then their guilt and their shame was exposed, and they tried to find clothes, tried to cover that up, but they failed miserably. Those leaves, they weren't going to last. They weren't going to hide anything from God. You and I, just like Adam and Eve, have tried to cover up our shame and our guilt. Children, when your parents ask you what you've been up to, well, you tell them the story of what happened, but you leave out all the details that would get you into trouble trying to cover it up, trying to hide. Or there was that time, or maybe multiple times, where you went on the internet and started clicking, and your desires ran wild, and you followed them, and you chased them down. Then you deleted it, tried to pretend nothing ever happened. Or there was that friend of yours, you say the worst things about her when she's not there. But when you're together, you act like her best friend. We can't hide these things. We can't hide anything in front of God. God sees right through our fig leaves and right through our lies. He exposes shame and guilt. He does not leave it unpunished. Yet there as the soldiers were dividing up Jesus' clothes... He was without them. What humiliation. What disgrace. What shame. All for us. He took our shame, our guilt, our disgrace. Nothing standing between Jesus and the wrath of the Almighty God for all of our sins that we tried to cover up. Jesus bore that shame for us. This was God's plan and purpose all along. He foretold this back in Psalm 22. This is the end of our shame. Because Jesus suffered our shame for us, you and I can stand in front of God pure, holy, bold, courageous, and grateful. As Jesus crossed the finish line, yes, it meant the end of our shame, but also the end of our neglect. There at the cross was also Jesus' mother, Mary. So much responsibility that she had over the years. As she watched over Jesus growing up, Jesus' brothers. Think about Mary's responsibility. All the feedings, all the cleanings, all the snuggling, the waking up in the middle of the night, when you've got little boys, sometimes it's all you can do during that day to keep them from killing themselves. So much energy. They love to explore. And Mary, as she shared the scriptures that she heard at synagogue with her son Jesus, 
So much responsibility, yet that's the life of a mother and actually anyone in a family. The Lord lays so many responsibilities on members of a family. Parents, take care of your children. Provide for them. Discipline them. Raise them in the fear and training and instruction of the Lord. Wives, honor your husbands. Husbands, love your wives selflessly. Children, obey your parents gladly and honor them every day. These are the responsibilities that God gives to people in a family, but that doesn't even say anything about all of the love and the high standards and the perfection that he expects of us in our relationship with those around us and with him himself. We've cut so many corners. We've neglected so many things. Children, your parents ask you to clean your room. You go and put two things away and just leave the rest sitting all over the place. Husbands, your wife asks you to help her on your day off. Well, you drag your feet, and you blow things off, you just don't feel like it. Wives, your husband had a, a really rough week. And instead of encouraging him, you lay into him for not getting more done. Parents, your children look up to you at how long are the stretches between family devotions, reading God's word to them, talking to them about God's word, praying with them. Or your parents, they've been getting up there. It's been months since you've checked in on them. All these responsibilities, and, and we've left things out, we've neglected them. God should forget us and forsake us. Yet they're at the cross. Jesus, amid all of the agony and all of the anguish and abuse that he was taking, he was concerned about completing everything, fulfilling all of his responsibilities for us. There at the cross were several women, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had driven seven demons. There was Jesus' aunt. There was another Mary, the wife of one of the disciples who were on the way to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, there's also Mary, Jesus' mother, whom Jesus had obeyed and honored from the bottom of his heart his entire growing up years, his whole life. Also is the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is none other than James, the brother of John, John, the author of the fourth gospel. Yet John wasn't interested in making himself known making himself puffed up. No, he wanted to be known by his relationship with Jesus, the one who loved him. Jesus, as a final act of honoring his mother, arranged for her to be taken care of. Dear woman, here is your son. Disciple, here is your mother. And from that day on, John took Mary into his home. He took care of her. And not only physically, making sure that she was fed and had a roof over her head, but also spiritually. As a disciple of Jesus, he could help keep Mary focused on the resurrection and the life as her time in this life drew to a close. Jesus, even in the middle of all of his suffering, he made sure 
that everything was taken care of for us, all of God's command. As he crossed the finish line, it's the end of our neglect. It's when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' perfect obedience and his perfect honor and his perfect love. It's also the end of Jesus' suffering. It's difficult to imagine a more painful and cruel death than crucifixion. The Romans had it mastered. They would first take the cross and sink it into the ground so that it was nice and and stable. Then they would fasten a peg or a seat onto the cross. After that, they would lift the one who was going to be crucified up onto that seat, tie their hands and feet with ropes. Now, they weren't going to escape that. But just because of cruelty, the Romans drove the spikes through the hands and through the feet as well. Then began the long process of trying to keep breathing when you're all stretched out. They would struggle to keep breathing, and then when they got tired of doing that, they would hang, and then the pain set in, and the more difficulty breathing. It took up to four days for most people before they finally died of suffocation or blood loss or blood poisoning. Yet, one of the greatest parts of the suffering was the raging thirst. And so Jesus cried out, I am thirsty. Now earlier on, when he was first crucified, Jesus refused the wine mixed with myrrh that they had tried to give him. Over and over, Jesus wasn't going to let anything dull the pain of his suffering for us. Yet now, at this time, he said, I am thirsty in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Psalm 69 They gave me vinegar for my thirst. One of the soldiers took a stalk of a hyssop plant, usually a little less than two feet long, and reached a sponge on that up to Jesus' lips so that he could drink it. Since the length of the hyssop plant usually was only about 18 inches to two feet, and reaching up to Jesus, he probably wasn't up too high. His feet were probably about a few feet off of the ground. Yet, Giving Jesus this vinegar for his thirst was really also to give him strength for his next words. It is finished. When Jesus said that, everything for our salvation had been accomplished. All the prophecies fulfilled, every last law kept, every ounce of pain endured. Jesus had walked every step jumped over every hurdle, Jesus made it to the finish line. And as Jesus crossed the finish line, finishing, completing everything for you and me, there is nothing left for us to suffer. There is no more obedience we need for our salvation. No more suffering for our sins. Nothing else we can do to earn righteousness with God. It is finished in Christ at the cross. About 500 B.C., the Persian forces attacked Greece. And the city of Athens there, when they were about to be attacked, they needed help. So they sent one of their running messengers, a man by the name of Pheidippides, down to Sparta, asking them for help. Pheidippides ran to Sparta and then back 
a distance of about 150 miles in two days. It's a lot of running. It's a lot of energy and not a lot of sleep. According to another version of the story, Pheidippides ran from the Battle of Marathon where the Greeks successfully held off the Persians. He ran about 25 miles back to the city of Athens and being so exhausted, he said, we've won. And he collapsed and died. I think I would probably be ready to collapse and die after running that much too. Many of us would rather collapse and die than even thinking about running that far. Yet Jesus did die. Jesus, as he finished his race, as he completed everything, he died. All so that this message could be brought to us. We've won. The victory is ours. Your sins have been paid for. Your debts are canceled. Heaven is yours. What a wonderful victory. What an amazing message. What a great race. It's been run for us in Christ Jesus. As you leave this evening, leave relieved. Leave at peace. Leave grateful knowing that it is finished. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. <laughs>